Yeah, as, as Pastor Jerry was saying, I'm Pastor Rich. Uh, so glad that you're here with us this morning and joining us online or if you're watching under the pavilion. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I am the children's pastor, and I can tell you, um, for me, one of my highlights of the week is our Wednesday night power-up program. Those kids, they just, they're amazing. These are elementary kids, and if you could just get a glimpse of um, their time when they when they worship the Lord, when they're singing, it's like, I mean, it'll bring tears to your eyes. It's just amazing to see the pureness in that, and hopefully we'll be able to get some video to be able to show you guys just of what the experience is on a Wednesday night, but I, I find it a privilege, it's a privilege for me to um, to work with your kids. I told God, I'm like, all right, God, I'll, as long as you give me the energy and the ability or whatever to keep up with those, those I mean, because every Wednesday it's like, can we go play tag? And they want me to be the one who's it, and so we have a lot of fun with that, and I'm like, as long as I can keep up with them, we'll just keep on doing it. But also, it's a privilege for me to come in here on a, on a Sunday morning to be able to share with you, um, to fill in for Pastor Jerry, give him a much-needed break. So I'm, I'm glad that I can share uh, with you all this morning. So, again, glad you are here. Hopefully you have your program that on the inside has some uh, place for you to take some notes if you want to take some notes. And if you're online, uh, those notes are downloadable. You can do that as well. So let's go ahead and, and get right into this. So if you were with us last week, you know that we started this this um, kind of this two-part series, but we've been in, or this two-part lesson in this series, we've been in this series that we're doing on building healthy relationships that we've been calling Unmasking Relationships, Timeless Relationship Truths in the New Normal. You know, when I, I feel like when I say the new normal, now it's kind of like, it's not new anymore, just in the normal, I guess. I guess it's, I don't know how it's going to be, but whatever. Timeless relationship truths in the new normal, and we're in looking at relationships. Last week I started this message about one of the most important tasks that most of us really never learned growing up, and that is the skill of resolving conflicts. Um, you know, I look back over the many years that I've been a pastor here and the people that I've counseled over the years in that time, and without a doubt, the number one thing of helping people is to negotiate and work through conflicts in their lives. Uh, it's one of the most important skills that we have to learn is how to resolve conflict. It's essential, I believe, to our well-being and our, and our happiness in life. If we don't know how to resolve conflict, we will go around carrying around conflict just about in every area if we don't know how to resolve it. And that makes us miserable. And what happens, I know for me, probably for you, when my relationships are a mess, I'm a mess. I'm not very happy. So we're going to learn the seven biblical steps of how to resolve a conflict. And if we'll practice, what, practice these steps, what I believe is that we'll find the stress in our lives going down dramatically. And we'll find the joy and the fulfillment and the sat satisfaction in life going up significantly. Because then I believe that we can really live out the purpose that God has for us when we have these, our, our relationships are, are mainly good and, and free of conflict. So we started off last week with Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. I just want to look at verse 18 real fast as we, as we get moving here. Romans 12:18. it says this, if it, is if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. 
Again, I'm so glad that God didn't leave out the first two parts of this and just say, live at peace with, with everyone. Because we're like, yeah, right. But, but what he says is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, what is he saying? He's saying, I recognize that there's some people in your life that you just are not going to be able to live at peace with. And it's not your fault. It's just, it's just the way it is. Even God recognizes there's some people that we can't live at peace with no matter how hard we try. If it is possible, as far as it depends on me, and I do my part, and they don't do their part, well, I can't help that. So let's just go ahead and get right into this, the seven steps for resolving conflict. We started off last week with step number one. And if you weren't here uh, last week or you didn't tune in last week, you can go online and, and see this, uh, the first message that kind of really unwraps step number one. But I'm just going to hit it briefly, step number one. The first step in resolving conflict with a neighbor, a friend, a relative, a spouse, a boss was this, is I take the initiative. You can go ahead and write that in. I take the initiative. That's the starting point. You take the initiative. You don't wait for that person to come to you. You go to them. You be the peacemaker. Don't ignore the conflict. Don't deny the conflict. Don't just sweep the conflict under the rug if you're married don't pretend if there's a conflict, don't pretend that that conflict isn't there. We have to deal with it. We have to get over our fear of conflict. That's what we talked about last week. And at the right time and at the right place, you plan a sit-down meeting. Again, last week's message was all unwrapping that and how to get to this place of having a sit-down meeting with somebody. So go back and check that out. Because we're going to move on to step number two once you get this meeting together with somebody, with that person that you've been in conflict with, here's the first thing you do. You might want to write this one in. Step number two is I confess my part of the conflict. I confess my part of the conflict. That's what I do first. And that's really the biblical thing to do for me to confess my part of the conflict. Now, they may be 99.9% wrong. And you're only... 0.1% wrong, then you confess your 0.1%. Now, I'm willing to bet that it's probably more than 0.1% is your part of this conflict. But just saying, if that's, if that's what it is, then you confess your part of the conflict. This is called humility. But you start with you. You don't start with condemning. You don't start with accusing. Instead of accusing and attacking and blaming, we begin with humility and then we, we deal with our part of the conflict because everyone has blind spots. You realize that, right? If you don't know what your blind spot is, you can probably ask the person who's sitting next to you and they can tell you what your blind spot is. But we all have blind spots. Jesus deals with this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 5. He says, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Think about that. You're worried about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own. Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. This is humility. Recognizes that I've got to deal with some stuff with me. I have a part in this. It's starting with my part of the conflict. So what I like to do is I, I like to ask myself some questions. If I'm sitting down in a meeting and I'm going I'm to meet with this person, I'm going to ask myself this. First, okay, am I being unrealistic? Am I being unrealistic in this conflict? I ask myself, am I being ungrateful 
in this relationship? Am I being insensitive to this person? Am I being oversensitive? Or am I being too demanding? And, I'm, and I ask myself these things. Because my nature, it's Rich Brashear's nature to be self-centered. It's my nature to be stubborn. It's my nature to think of me before I think of you. I don't naturally just go right to thinking of you. I think of me first. It's our nature to think about ourselves typically. What's best for me? What do I need? And we're normally going to do that. But more relationships and more marriages and more friendships die from inflexibility more than anything else. Because people aren't willing to move. I'm unwilling to move. You're unwilling to move. No one is willing to make that first step. I'm willing, unwilling to show a little bit of humility. So sometimes we get in a relationship and we're just, we're just stuck. And when I, when I say stuck, I mean you can't get on with it. You can't get out of it. And if it's a marriage, you're you know, not to get out of it, but you can't get out of it, but you feel trapped. You kind of feel trapped in this. And this can happen multiple times in marriages throughout seasons of your marriage where you say, I can't get on with it because we're just stuck here. I, I don't want out of it. I can't get out of it. But I feel trapped. It's like a traffic jam. It's like a log jam. It's like when there's logs in a river and they, they're moving down the river and, and they get stopped up and no one log can move forward because no log knows which to move and how to move and where to move. No one moves first. So how do you break a relational log jam? Maybe you might be in one right now. Maybe you're in this log jam in a relationship. It's always the same way in any relationship. It's humility. You make the first move and humility breaks the log jam. Let me tell you a sentence that I believe will break any relational logjam. It's this. If you'll say this, and this could be hard to do, but you say, I'm sorry. I was only thinking of myself. That'll break any relational logjam. If you'll say, I'm sorry, I was only thinking of myself, and I guarantee that that will help move things forward. Look at 1 Peter 5, 6. It says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time He will lift you up in honor. So being humble, it's humility. So I confess my part of the conflict. And then number three, step number three is, I listen for the hurt. I listen for the hurt. There's a phrase that Pastor Jerry has used so many times over the years around here. If you've been here any length of time, you've heard him say this, but it's this, that hurt people hurt people. It is so true. Hurt people hurt other people. When I get hurt, when you get hurt, we tend to hurt the other people in our lives. And typically we hurt the people that we love the most. If someone's hurting you, I guarantee you it's because somebody has hurt them. It may be you that's hurt that person. It may be somebody else that's hurt them. It may, but someone has hurt this person. That's why they're in turn hurting you, and that's why they're this conflict. So we have to listen for the hurt in the, in the midst of the conflict. It doesn't matter if it's in a marriage. It doesn't matter if it's in the marketplace. It really a conflict even like if it's in the Middle East. When people feel fearful, when they feel robbed of their dignity, or they feel afraid, out of that fear comes hurt, and out of hurt ends up coming conflict. 
Now, men, I'll pick on us for just a second. Sometimes we tend to hide our hurt behind logic. Now, you've seen this happen. We get hurt in a conversation, but instead of saying, I'm hurt, we say this. Well, let me tell you seven reasons why you are wrong. In fact, here's my flip chart with arrows and diagrams about why you are wrong. Pictures and everything. And then we, as men, just file a legal brief instead of just saying the two words, I'm hurt. But the truth is we're hurt because that's where all the conflict comes from. It comes from. It comes from the hurt in our lives. If you want to connect with people, you've got to start with their need. And that means you've got to start with their hurt. How do, how, how do we hear someone's hurt? How do you listen for their hurt? Well, it's a great verse, James 1.19. We, we saw this verse back in the James series that we did. Um, James 1.19, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. To listen for hurt, we have to do what this verse says. We have to listen. God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. That means we need to be listening twice as much as we're speaking. We need to listen twice as much as we're speaking if we want to really hear the hurt in someone else's life. That's the key to beginning to diffuse this conflict. It's the key to understanding where people are coming from, understanding their circumstances, understanding their background or their perspective and where they're coming from in that and their temperament. We've got to listen. This one verse, James 1.19, I believe if you'll put this verse into practice in your life, it'll save you thousands of years of marriage counseling, of just relational counseling, if we are quick to listen and slow to speak. You know, it's what I mentioned last week when I said before you go into this meeting that you pray about it. And you just pray, God, help me to hear what I need to hear. Help me to hear what they're really saying. And then only let me say the things that I really need to be said. That'll go a long way. That is quick to listen, slow to speak, which then in turn uh, is slow to get angry. You listen for hurt. And as you're listening for people's hurt, there are two areas that we need to be especially considerate about. The other person's doubts and the other person's fears. Because I've got doubts and fears. You have doubts and fears. And many times in a conflict, what happens is we hit the nerve of somebody's doubt. Or we hit the nerve of somebody's fear. And because of that, all of a sudden, conflict starts coming our way. Here comes the conflict. We hit the nerve and it's like, boom. And conflict is coming our way. So if we want, if we want people to consider our doubts and fears, we need to then consider their doubts and fears. And you consider their hurt. You, you listen to their hurt. And then, which brings us to step number four, is this. Once I'm doing these things, I'm taking the initiative. I confess my part. I listen for the hurt. Four is I then consider their perspective. I need to consider their perspective. You know, this works really anywhere in life, considering somebody else's perspective, just trying to figure out. I, I try to figure out the way that they're looking at it. We could, we could stop Arguments almost immediately, immediately if we would just stop and just kind of listen for a person's perspective on something instead of just be like, nah, 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 and just saying our part. If we would just listen, consider the way they're looking at it, consider this person's viewpoint. You have this moment when you intentionally shift your focus from your needs, you know, to you winning the argument to their needs. 
That's where we're moving. From my needs, from my point, from me just winning this thing or whatever, to their needs. We try to get their perspective on the issue. This is the issue in relationships. Who's going to start seeing it from the other person's perspective? Who's going to do that first? Who's going to make the move in seeing the other person's perspective? The person who makes a move is always the person who stops saying, how do I see it? And instead starts thinking, how do they see it? How do they see this whole situation? What are they going through? Here's how we see from another person's perspective. Philippians 2, 4 and 5. A lot of these verses that I'm bringing in today, you should memorize these verses. You should know these verses. Philippians 2, 4 and 5 says, Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And you think about that. We must seek first to understand before we seek to be understood. How do we do this? How do we consider another person's perspective? Well, there's an important word in that verse, and it's the word look. Because we're not to just look at our own interests, but we're really to look at the interests of other people. That word look in the Greek is the word skopos, like, like we get microscope or telescope. It's you scope out, you focus in on their perspective. You realize that, here's the reality, we are most like Christ when we are paying attention to other people's needs. When we're not being selfish, not thinking about ourselves, but we're looking at other people's needs and we're focusing in on their needs. How do we do that? I mean, how do we really start noticing other people's needs instead of worrying about, well, they don't see my needs or they don't see, they don't notice mine. I mean, I've got needs. That's what I think. Maybe you think that too. I've got needs. What about my part in this? What about my needs in the middle of this conflict? Well, I hope this verse will help you. If you're a follower of Jesus, especially, look at this verse. Psalm 139.3 It says, God, you see me when I travel when I, and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. And the reason I bring this verse up is because when we realize that there is a God in heaven, a Father in heaven who is there and he notices you specifically, and he says, I want to and will take care of all of your needs. That you're not in this alone. He takes care of my needs. So then when I know that and I trust that, then, then I can be freed up to work to help take care of your needs. Now, if we're expecting some other human being, whether it's a, a wife, whether it's a husband, kids, somebody at work, if we're expecting another human being, to take care of all of our needs, of course you're going to have conflict. Because they're just like you. They're as imperfect as you are. They can't do it. But when we recognize that there's a God in heaven who's willing to meet the needs in your life, all of a sudden we have this freedom. We know that, okay, God's going to meet my needs. Yes, he's going to put people in my life. And part of that is he's going to put people in, in my life to help meet these needs in my life. But I'm trusting God with that. And when I know that, it now gives me the freedom to look at you and go, okay, I'm going to focus on your needs. What are your needs? What's your perspective? What do, what do you need in this relationship? So I'm taking the initiative. I confess my part. I listen for the hurt. I consider their perspective. And then number five, this is very important. I tell the truth tactfully. I tell the truth tactfully. Now, in this 
We're going to call this, when we're in this conflict resolution, in this peace conference, because that's what you're in. You're in a peace conference. You're resolving this conflict. You're working through this with somebody. We're in a peace conference that you're having with this person that you're in conflict with. You have to tell the truth tactfully. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, speak truth in love. It may be the truth, but if I'm not speaking it with love, I'm on the wrong side of the issue. You never use truth as a club. A lot of people like, you know, I just tell the truth. I just tell it like it is. Well, that's great and all, but half the time it's, you're beating people up with that truth. Not, it's not received very well. Don't use truth as a club. We have to tell the truth tactfully. Look at Proverbs 12:18. It says this. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring what? Healing. Maybe you've met people like that, that the words that they use are just cutting. They cut deep. But then you meet other people who bring healing with their words because they could tell the truth. And sometimes the truth is very hard to hear. Most of the time, the truth is hard to hear for us. But we can tell it in such a way that it's received. And according to this verse, in other words, foolish words will hurt us. Wise words will heal. And it's always my choice on the words that I use. Pastor Jerry shares a lot. Another, um, some phrases that he uses around here is, you, you never get your point across by being cross. Or you are never persuasive when you're abrasive. You tell the truth tactfully. And if you don't tell it tactfully, it's not going to be received very well. Truth without love is resisted. People push that away just about every single time. But truth that's wrapped in love will be received. Now, look, it may be resisted at first because, like I said, truth hurts sometimes. Sometimes we don't want to hear it. But when I know that it's wrapped in love, I have a way better chance of receiving that into myself and listening to what, you, what you're saying to me. Because people grow faster, people change faster, people change easier when truth is wrapped in love. And people must trust you before you can tell them the truth. And they learn to trust you by you proving to them that you love them, that you accept them. And when you... When you prove that, you can say things that you probably normally couldn't say or just the average person couldn't say to that person because you've earned that. But we have to love them before we tell them the truth. There's another phrase that I've heard it said this way. People don't care about what you have to say until they know that you care. People don't care about what you have to say to them until they know that you truly care about them. Then I'll receive what you're... But if, you, if I don't think you care about me, then I don't care what you have to say to me. It doesn't matter, even if it is truth. I don't really care. I don't want to hear it because you don't care. Look at Ephesians 4.29 then. It says this, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. I'm going to read that one again. It's such a good verse. Ephesians 4.29, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful Everything we say be good and helpful so that our words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. That's when we're telling the truth with tact. 
So when I'm in this conversation with this person that I'm in conflict with, the first thing I think is, what I'm about to say to them going to be helpful or is it going to be hurtful? Is it going to build them up or is it going to tear them down? Another thing I've heard that I like the way it said is um, you can kind of be two people in a person's life. You can be a balcony person or you can be a basement person. And a balcony person is the person, you know, like they're up in the balcony, they're cheering you on. You can do this. We can do this. That's a balcony person. They lift people up. And then there's basement people who pull people down. They just try to yank them down. So what you're saying to them, are you going to be a balcony person and build them up or are you going to be a basement person and tear them down? Is what I'm saying going to be persuasive or is it just going to be abrasive? Maybe the truth, but how's it coming across? So really the skill is learning to attack the problem rather than attacking the person. Most of us have never learned that. We attack the person instead of the problem. So we need to learn if we're going to work through this conflict to attack the problem and not the person. And then related to that is number six. It's this. I fix the problem, not the blame. I want to fix the problem, not fix the blame on somebody. I fix the problem, not the blame. Now, the reality is that we only have a certain amount of emotional energy. Right? And in a conversation where we're trying to resolve conflict, we can either use the emotional energy that we have to fix the blame on somebody, or we can use that energy to fix the problem. We don't have enough energy to do both, because we'll get to the place where we're out of energy, then I'm tired, now I'm angry, and we don't get anywhere because of that. We don't have enough energy to do both, so you ask yourself, What's more important to me in this relationship? What's more important to me? To blame them or resolve the conflict? Fix the problem, not the blame. Related to this is establishing some ground rules of words that you're just, you're not going to use ever. I'm going to start off kind of talking in terms of the marriage relationship, but really these, there's some words that you just never use in any context of relationship. But first, I just want to look at just in the marriage relationship. And if you're not married yet, if you're a younger person not married yet or whatever, these are good rules to remember. But I highly recommend that you establish some ground rules for fighting fair in, in your marriage and you follow them your entire marriage. And it's never too late to do this. But, but there are just... Some things you should never, ever say in a marriage, and we're going to call these WMDs. These are weapons of mass destruction, because that's what they are. They're weapons of mass destruction. See, if you know anything about the Cold War, uh, when Russia and America were basically at each other's throats, it lasted for about 50 years. It was from the like mid-40s-ish to around 91, they say, was the, the Cold War. So around that 50-year period, America had thousands of missiles aimed at Russia. And we could literally blow Russia off the face of the earth. They would no longer exist anymore. But Russia also had missiles aimed at America. And they could basically blow America off the face of the earth. So America didn't exist anymore. And even when we were at the worst point in the Cold War, there was enormous tensions between the two countries I mean, back in the day, if you were around then and 
you saw what was going on. There were some crazy things that were going on with the, the Cold War. But even we were at the worst point in the Cold War with these enormous tensions, both sides had enough sanity to say, there are just some weapons we're not going to use because they're mad. M-A-D, that was a term. Do you know what that term stood for? Mutually assured destruction. That if we use ours and you use yours, we no longer exist. Neither of us exist as a country. There would be no countries left. They were mad. Mutually assured destruction. So when we're totally, when the, these countries, as our countries were saying, we're totally on opposite sides of an issue, we can at least agree on this one thing. We're not going to use these WMDs ever because we know if we use them, we're done. It's over. Never to come back from it again. That's a WMD. That's what it does. So there are some weapons of mass destruction that should never be used in your marriage. Now, this is uh, a word for Lori and I. When we first got mar- married, this was a word I said, we'll never have this in our, voc- our vocabulary. And it was, I called it the D word. And it's divorce. And my parents were divorced as a, um, when I was a very young kid. And I, I knew what that did to me as a child. And I said, if we're getting married, that's just not in our vocabulary. That word is a weapon of mass destruction. Like threatening to walk out. It's a weapon of mass destruction. Like bringing somebody's parents into the issue. That's a weapon of mass destruction. There's just some things where you say, we're not going to use these no matter how mad we get at each other. No matter how upset with each other, no matter how hurt or frustrated or angry, we're just not going to use these. These WMDs are off limits because they only are going to destroy a relationship. They certainly aren't going to build up the relationship. They're just going to destroy. They're just going to tear down trust. That's what happens. And the Bible is very specific about what's out of bounds. Okay, so I just focused some on marriage, but you know there are just some words that you just shouldn't, you don't use in a relationship, in any relationship. We just don't go there. But look, let me give you an example of what the Bible says in this. And this is another, some some more good verses to memorize. This verse, Colossians 3, it says, But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. These aren't allowed. Sorry, I didn't say it. God said it. These aren't allowed. Because why? These are WMDs. These are weapons of mass destruction. That's what they cause. So think about it. Angry, rage, anger, rage, or angry, rage. Those can go together. What does it mean? It means that no matter how mad you get, you do not try to intimidate with anger. Angry, rage. You don't threaten people to do the right thing. It doesn't work. Now, I would say this. Parents with your kids, don't ever do that. You know, I know that we can get upset as parents sometimes and we want to, we, you know, it's real easy to blow up, but we have to be very careful that we don't get in such a, so angry that we blow up at our kids or we threaten to make them do the right thing. Because here's what I can tell you will happen. Your kids will most likely do what, especially when they're young, they'll do what you're asking them to do or threatening them to do out of outward obedience, but inside they're rebelling And inside you're losing 
your say. You're losing their trust. You're, you're losing that love that's inside of there. And eventually, they won't listen to you anymore because of that. So don't do that with your kids. Don't do it with anybody because it doesn't work. And yeah, maybe somebody's scared of you and they'll just do it. Eventually, they'll be gone. It also says don't use malicious behavior and slander. What is malicious? What are malicious words? Well, there are words that are just designed to hurt. You know the words. You know the person that you're in conflict with or the relationship. You know what words you can say. You know the buttons you can push. They're just designed to hurt that person because you know them very well. There are certain things you can hurt, you can damage, you can wound, and you can destroy by saying these words. God says they're off limits. They're WMDs. It's a weapon of mass destruction. You're not allowed to do it. No matter how angry you get, no malicious words are to come out. Then no slander. What's slander? Well, it's no insults, no slurs, no putting somebody down, no calling people dirty names, no nasty names, no labeling, no belittling. You know, I believe that belittling is about as low as we can get. Little people belittle people. And when you belittle someone, I think you're just showing how tiny your heart is. Because great people make people feel great. So when you belittle your spouse or your kids, what you're really doing is just showing how little you are. And it's not received well. Romans 14, 13 says this. Stop, uh, let's, so let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. You know, the reason that we fix the problem and not the blame is because blaming is a form of judging or condemning. And only God really has the right to judge. We're not the judge. You're not the judge. I'm not the judge. We don't know people's motivation. We can try to figure out and think why somebody does what they do, but really, really, we can't see in the, I can't see in your heart. I can't see in your mind. I don't know really what you're thinking or why you're doing what you're doing. And you can't see in me and know why I'm doing what I'm doing. We can't figure out anybody else's motivation. Half the time, more than half the time, I don't know why I do what I do. So how am I supposed to know what you, why you're doing what you're doing? We don't know. Only God truly knows your motivation and knows your heart and knows why you're doing or why you did what you did. So God's the judge. So don't blame don't fix the blame. Let God do his job and be the judge. Then finally, step number seven. Thought you'd never, I bet you thought we'd never get to this one. I, but I promise you we get done. And Pastor Jerry got here. I didn't know he'd be here today. So he got here and we're still getting done. So we're good. So number seven is this. So if we look at these again, I take the initiative. I confess my part. I listen for the hurt. I consider their perspective. I tell the truth. And then I, I fix the problem, not the blame. And then number seven is I focus on reconciliation, not resolution. Reconciliation, not resolution. There's a big difference here. Reconciliation means reestablishing the relationship. Resolution means resolving every issue. That we no longer have any disagreements. That we no longer have any problems. Look, the second one isn't going to happen. There are just some things that you're never going to agree on. That's okay. 
There's nobody on this planet who's going to agree with you on every single issue. Nobody. So we're never going to have resolution to all of our to, to all of our issues. Yeah, we want to work on those. We want to resolve the conflict. We want to work on that. But there's just some things that we're, we may never totally get down to and resolve. But we're worried more about reconciliation here. The fact is we're all different. We all have different personalities. Have you noticed that? Yeah, we're pretty different. Men and women are different. Anybody notice that one? Yeah. I often ask God, especially when you get married, it's like, Why'd you make us so different? But it just makes us better, I guess. So, But yeah, we're so different. So we're not always going to agree on stuff. And that's okay. Ages differ. Personalities differ. You're, you're never going to find anybody who agrees with you on everything. So we just need to give that one up. But I want to ask you a question. Can you have a, a loving relationship with someone without agreeing on everything. Of course you can. We can have a loving relationship with people without agreeing on everything because we're not going to agree on everything. We can have reconciliation without resolution of every issue because there's just some things that we're going to disagree on. And that's okay. Like if we will learn to disagree without being disagreeable, that's called wisdom. If we will learn... You know, if we can learn that we can have unity without uniformity, that's called wisdom. When we learn that, look, you and I, we can we can walk hand in hand without seeing eye to eye on certain things. But we can still walk hand in hand. That's called wisdom. We can have a loving relationship without agreeing on on everything. We don't have to agree on every issue to come to this reconciliation, by the way. If we focus on the relationship and not the issues, you're going to find that there's some issues that you're arguing over that just aren't that important. You know, with our kids, it's kind of like what we have always said is we need to just choose our battles because some of them aren't that important. So we choose our battles. Some things aren't worth arguing about. It's this thought that I'm distinctly remembering to forget them. Sounds weird but I'm going to remember to forget those things. That's what I'm going to do. There are some things that you're never going to change in your wife or your husband or your parents or your, your kids. They're just not going to change, but that's okay. We just need to let it go. And we just say, I'm going to focus on the positive and not the negative because they're just not going to change. And I can tell you, they're certainly not going to change by attacking them on an issue. And I'll say this too, in a world that's filled with conflict, I mean, conflict is everywhere. And it seems like, especially this last year's conflict, maybe I just am more aware, I don't know, it just seems like conflict is everywhere with the, where there are disagreements, where there's anger, there's conflict, there's prejudice, there's racial prejudice, where there's envy, where there's groups, there's division, there's politics, and there's partisanship. Where everything in the world tends to divide, I want to challenge you with something. If you're in here in this room or you're watching online or in the pavilion, I want to challenge you with something. Become an agent of reconciliation. Become an agent of reconciliation. One of the greatest things that we can do with our lives is to be a bridge builder and not a wall builder. Too many people are wall builders, building up walls between them and others. 
And we need to realize that we are most like Jesus when we're reconciling people. Do you realize that? When we're reconciling people to each other and when we're reconciling people to, to God. We're most like Jesus when we're building bridges, not walls. It's exactly what Jesus came to do. He's the great reconciler. God sent Jesus into the earth to reconcile us because we were in conflict with God. This is what I spoke about last week at the end of the message. See, I don't know if you realize this, but this is what the Bible says. This isn't what I say, and you can look in the Bible and find it for yourself. This is what God says. Until you accept Christ into your life and get in with God's plan for your life, the Bible says that you're in rebellion. You're in rebellion. What you're saying is, God, I want to run my life my way. I don't want, to t- I don't want you to tell me how to run my life. I'm going to live it my way. I want to do the things that I want to do my way. Well, the Bible says then you're in rebellion against God. God says you're in rebellion against me. So what did God do? Well, God took the initiative. And this is what I mentioned then last week. God took the initiative. He didn't wait. He sent Jesus to come for me and to die for me on the cross before I ever knew I had a problem. He did that. He sent Jesus to die for me and for you. You know, if you were the only person on the planet, he would have done it for you. He took the first step and he looks at us and says, I'm going to come and I'm going to reconcile you to God. That's my job. That's what I'm going to come and do. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers, not peace lovers. A lot of people love peace. They love to talk about peace. Look, don't be a peace lover. Be a peacemaker. Let that be who you are. That means you take these steps, you use them, and you teach them to other people. And we become agents of reconciliation. That's who we are as followers of Christ. So I want, I want to close by giving you a statement. You might want to write this one down as well, and it's this. It's always more rewarding to resolve the conflict than to dissolve the relationship. It's always more rewarding to resolve the conflict than to dissolve the relationship. Now, will there be some parts that you cannot resolve completely? Absolutely. And remember, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So you just do your part. It is much, reward, much more rewarding to try to resolve it than to dissolve the relationship completely. It's not easier, but it's more rewarding. There are people, maybe, you know, for you, maybe there are just, you say, there are people in my life I just want to wash my hands with, that, that I want to walk away, I want to say, forget it, it's just not worth it. That I'm going to dissolve this relationship. I'm just going to walk away. Maybe you came in, in here this morning and that's what you were thinking. Well, I would say, yeah, you can do that. But you don't get any rewards in heaven for that. You don't get joy here on earth for that. You don't get character growth and development in your life for that. It's not rewarding to do that. It's always more rewarding to resolve a conflict and to dissolve a relationship. And this may be a process. Remember, this may take more than one meeting. You may have to meet with this person multiple times to work through this conflict. But it's worth it to continue to meet and fix this. Now, as I mentioned last week, 
really anyone can try to work through these steps. I mean, even if you're not a, a, a Christian, you could walk through these steps and try to have reconciliation in your relationships. However, this is what I believe. I believe that you can't make peace, true peace with other people until you make peace with God. That's where true peace comes from. And maybe that's part of the problem. You're not at peace with yourself because you're not at peace with God yet. First, you've got to make peace with God. Then you get the peace of God. Then, you've, then you have peace on earth and goodwill toward men. The reason people don't have peace on earth and goodwill toward men is because they don't have peace with themselves. There's no internal peace. The reason that people don't have peace with themselves is typically because they don't have peace with their Creator, their Maker, and they're in rebellion. Look at this last verse that I'll give you on your outline there. It's 1 Timothy 2.5. It says this, There's only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity. The man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the great reconcile, reconciling God and humanity. He's the bridge. That's what the cross is all about, to reconcile God and humanity. That's the starting point. That's where we really have to, before we take the initiative, this is where we start. The first, you need to get the peace of God in your heart. You need to get, let the Prince of Peace come into your life and change you. So let's do that. We're going to do that right now. If you've never done that, let's go ahead and bow our heads. And I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Maybe if that's you this morning, whether you're here in the room, watching online, or you're um, with us under the pavilion, maybe would you just say this to God? Just say this in your heart. Again, it's not a magical prayer or anything like this. This is just kind of a conversation between you and God, and God's just listening to you. You just say, God, you know the conflict that I'm in in my life. You know the conflict with people. And you know the conflict with you. And you know the conflict that I have with myself. And I'm tired of it. And I want to make peace. I want to make peace today. I want to make peace with you, and I want to have your peace in my life. So that I can offer peace to others. You said, blessed are the peacemakers. I want to be blessed, God, please. For they will be called children of God. I want to be a child of God. So this morning I admit that I have sinned. I have done things wrong that are against you. And, this, and that creates conflict. It creates this separation, this lack of peace. I believe that you died for my sins and rose again. And Jesus, I choose to accept your forgiveness this morning. I choose to accept your peace today. I want to be your child. I want to be, your pe- I want to be a peacemaker. I open my life right now to you the best that I know how. Now fill me with your love. Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your love, not anger. With patience, with joy, with peace. Come in and fill every area of my life with calmness. And help me to be a bridge builder and not a wall builder. And we can all pray this. Dear God, help me to take the initiative. To not wait on the other person. But help me to take the initiative. Find the right time and the right place. And then help me to have the courage to confess my part of the conflict. And to be humble so that I won't stumble. That I won't make somebody else stumble. And instead of attacking the person, help me to attack the problem. Help me to consider their perspective. 
to listen for their hurt. Help me to speak the truth, to tell the truth, though, with tact, to, to speak in it tactfully, to fix the problem and not the blame, and focus on reconciliation, not resolving all of the disagreements. Again, God, I want to be a peacemaker. I want to be a reconciler. So fill me with you today and help me to go out into the world and be an, a change maker, an agent of change, where I'm helping people be reconciled to each other and reconciled to you. Now, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us all the power to do that. And we, we make this prayer in your, in your name, Jesus. Amen.